Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. My name's Lisa Plunkett, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff. So we always hear that home is where the heart is. That means home is this physical space where we have all of our most important relationships and our dearest and beloved relationships. From the safety of our homes, we can feel centered so that we can go out in the morning and face our day and know that we have a great place to come home to. Home provides security, belonging, identity, and it's a space for love and family. Why is home so important for us? Because it's the backdrop for all of our most important relationships and memories. It's this place that feels familiar and safe and where we grow into who we are. Home is our emotional identity. So what signifies home to you? This is what signifies home to me. Mike and I have two leather chairs in our living room. And when Mike is home, he is sitting in one of those chairs. It's the place where he watches TV. It's the place where he reads his Bible and he prays. It's the place where he likes to eat dinner, if I let him. (laughs) And when Mike is home, he is sitting in that chair. Now, we're going to be looking at Luke 15 today. And Luke 15 explains the importance of home. And it does so in three parables. The first parable is about a man who has 99 sheep. He loses one, and he leaves all the 99 behind to go and find that one. And when he finds that one lost sheep, he puts it on his shoulder, and he carries it home. And then he throws a big party, and he says, all of heaven throws a party over a sinner who changes his mind and comes home. The second parable is about a woman who has 10 coins, and she loses one, so she cleans the house. You know, it would help if we lose a coin. We would start cleaning hard, wouldn't we, ladies? So she looks in every nook and cranny till she finds that coin and then she invites all of her friends to come and says come i'm having a party i lost the coin but now i found it the theme of luke 15 is finding what is lost and bringing it home now this parable is important to me this week because we lost my granddaughter I don't mean she passed away. It sounds dramatic when I said it, sorry. But my granddaughter's going to kindergarten in the fall. And so my daughter decided to send her to a three-week summer program at kindergarten. But they drove her to school and expected to drive and pick her up. But when they got to school, they had put her on the bus. And my daughter's like, you've lost my five-year-old. You don't know where she is. My daughter was like that woman running all over the house. She went to every teacher she could find. 
when asked them, where did you put my daughter? What bus is she on? So then she finds out, well, she's on the bus that's going to your house. So my daughter drives as fast as she can to their home, only to find that Allie's not there. The bus is already gone. So then Anna stays at the house and sends her husband to drive to school as fast as he can. And she's thinking, okay, if we, you know, we need both of us to be in two places. And so when my son-in-law gets to school, he finds my granddaughter a little traumatized, <laughs> a little overwhelmed, but so glad to see her daddy. And just like the parable, they throw a big celebration because the one who was lost is found. Now, the vice principal didn't have such a great day. <laughs> because my son-in-law gave her a, a stern talking to about losing his five-year-old. When we look at this text, we see how Jesus teaches in parables. You know, if you have a red-letter Bible and you look at it, one-third of those red letters are about parables. And Jesus used parables to teach and it says in Luke 15, 1 and 2, the reason he's telling these parables is because there are Pharisees and teachers of the law who are criticizing Jesus for eating with sinners and telling him, you know, you shouldn't do that. Now, in the Middle East, it's really important who you eat with because eating and spending time in people's homes means that you're having the deepest kind of relationship that you can have. And so the Pharisees, they rightly conclude if Jesus is spending time in people's homes and he's eating with them, then he's identifying himself with him. And so Jesus, he speaks these parables to respond to the criticism that he's receiving. You need to know the story of the prodigal son, it's one of the most powerful stories ever told. That's what Charles Dickens said. Shakespeare used this parable to be the plot of some of his plays. Rembrandt painted the scenes of this parable in famous paintings. You see, today is such a great day to look at this parable. It is about the Father's love. And these parables show us how costly love can be. That's why we're honoring our fathers today, because the costly investment they have made in each of our lives. As we look at these three parables, we see there's a cost, there's a price. You know, the shepherd had to go to a difficult place. He had to search the wilderness for that one lost sheep. The woman had to look through her whole house for that coin that was lost. And the father, the father in this story, he is humiliated and shamed in order to provide a way back home for his lost sons. Now, in rabbinical teaching, the rabbis often used one parable. Occasionally, they used two parables, but it is very rare that they use three parables at once. Excuse me. Do you remember in Isaiah 6, where Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up? And what do the seraphim say? holy, holy, holy. And they used it in triplicate because they wanted to emphasize how important it was. 
Jesus is telling this parable and he's using the three stories to tell the same thing because he wants you to know this is important. This is Jesus when he is the height of being the best preacher ever. This is Jesus two weeks before he's about to die. This is the best preacher ever, preaching powerfully and emphatically and saying, I'm coming for sinners, and I'm coming to bring them home. (laughs) The Pharisees are criticizing him. They're saying, you shouldn't eat with sinners, and Jesus says, I'm going to do more than eat with them. I'm going to go seek for them and bring them home. He uses three parables because he says, I need three parables to illustrate it's so important. This parable, it's like a rabbinical scream. Listen up. So I'm going to tell you again the parable of the prodigal son. Now, I got to preach this to you about a month ago. And then we focused on the older son and the power of resentment. But today we're going to talk about the younger son and the father, and how he loves. So once there was a father who had two sons, and the younger son came to his father, and he made a scandalous request. He said, I want my inheritance now. Give it to me now. So the son's demand was like the modern equivalent of spitting in his face. It's like he was saying to his father, I wish you were already dead. You know, we live in a society, we focus on what's right and what's wrong. But in this society, they focused on what's honor and what's shame. And this son shamed his father. So the father divided up the property and he gave the younger son his portion. And the prodigal acted quickly and converted the new obtained property into cash. When he left a few days later with his pockets full of money, he had no doubt sold that property on the sly. He sold it to someone in secret. He probably sold it for below market value. Why was he in such a hurry? Because everyone in the community would have been aghast that he was doing such a horrible thing. So he sells his inheritance at a discount. He puts his father to shame. And then he leaves his father and goes to a far country of sin. You see, this act was shameless for many reasons. First, if you think about it, how did they gain their wealth? Through agriculture. So he wasn't only selling off his future. He was selling off the future of generations to come. The land was also their identity. Remember, they were given the land by Joshua when they crossed over, and each clan received their land. So he was selling something that was precious and was part of your identity as a Hebrew. So this younger son, he took that money, and he took off, and he squandered it away by throwing parties and reckless living. And the wealth that the father had so carefully protected in a short time, he had spent it all. And after he spent everything, there was a severe famine in the land. And in the whole country, people were in need. And this son became in desperate need. 
Verse 14 points out that the younger son now has a dilemma. The Jews prohibited that you would lose your land to a Gentile. If a Jew did such a thing, the community would perform a ceremony that would cut them off. The ceremony was called kazaza, and it meant that you were like one who was dead to them. Not only could this son not return to his father, but he couldn't return to the community unless he repurchased the land. So the son disrespected his father, and the son has now disrespected the village. He's offended them because he has squandered his inheritance with Gentiles. So the reckless parties, the parties are all over, and now the prodigal's just hungry, and he's in desperation, and he's in famine. He's like one of those gamblers in Las Vegas or Atlantic City who loses everything. So this son who once had known safety in his father's house, now he's looking for a job. And the only job he can find is working for a Gentile in a pig pen. And at this point, he's so hungry, he wishes he could eat what the pigs are eating. And the story tells us it's in this desperate place that he comes to his senses. And he thinks, These, the hired men who work for my father have it better than I do. Even the pigs have it better than I do. And he thinks, at home, my father's servants, they don't lack for anything. And he's like, why am I dying and starving of hunger? And he says to himself, I want to go back home. So the younger son believes he'll never be accepted back as a son. He knows what he's done has been deplorable, but he thinks maybe I can go back like a hired hand. At least then I'll have some spending money and some food. So he starts his journey home and he begins practicing this speech. He begins thinking, okay, what do I need to say to my father? I've hurt him so bad, I better come up with something good to say. And so he rehearses these words, Father, I was wrong, I've sinned against you, I'll never be worthy to call, be called your son again. Father, treat me like an employee. And he practices this speech all the way home. And then Jesus gets to this part in the parable. And he tells us the father saw his son coming home a long way off. He saw him from a distance. He's getting ready to crest the hill and come down the main street of the town. The father, who had no thought about how he looked, he didn't think about his own respect. He took off running after his son. You know, men of that time thought about their dignity, but this father tossed his dignity aside, and he went running after his son. He swept him up in his arms. He kissed him, and he hugged him over and over again. Stunned by the embrace, the son starts a speech that he's practiced. He says, Father, I've wronged you. I've sinned against you. I'll never be right and deserve to be called your son again. Just let me be. And then the father stops him. And the father tells the servant, go get my robe. Bring it. Go get me the ring and the ring of my sonship. Put it on his finger. Bring out 
the best shoes for my son. This father is ensuring that the wayward son will never be shamed. He does not shame his son, though his son has shamed him in front of the whole town. The father protects him and secures his future. And if that isn't enough, he says, go kill the fatted calf. Let's have a party. Now, I want to show you some key things in this passage about the father. The father waits. The father runs. The father plans. And the father spends. Now, look how the father waits. You know, I told you that Mike had his favorite chair. I think this father had his favorite chair. And I think he drug it to the entrance of that tent. And I think he sat in that chair looking for his son to come home. You know, I don't like waiting. (laughs) I don't know about you all. I'm not very good at it. Uh, But it's easy for us to think we're the one waiting on God all the time. Lord, I've been praying for so long. Lord, won't you do this? But this parable's telling us, no, the one who's waiting is God. He's waiting for you to make a turn. He's waiting for you to take a step towards him. Now, the older brother in this parable, he's a picture of waiting and complaining. He's complaining because there's a party being thrown. He's complaining and he tells his father, you know, why are you throwing a party for this one? He's, he's chased prostitutes. He's had reckless parties. You haven't even killed a goat for me and my friends. I want you to see that the behavior of the elder son is just as shaming as the behavior of the younger son. He won't even go into the party that his father's throwing. In front of all, he is denying his father's request. And it's just, you see this father so gracious, so loving to this older son. Look how he responds to him. And I want you to know, The older son won't even say the word father. He won't even address him personally in this passage. But this is how the father responds. He says, my son, you are always with me and everything that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate. We have to be glad because this brother of yours was dead and now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. Jesus demonstrates how much love this father has for the son. In this passage, uh, Jesus uses the word son eight times. But here, when he's addressing his older son, he calls him my beloved son. So if a son would call his dad daddy, then this is how the father would respond. You're my beloved. You see, After this son has humiliated the father in front of all and refuses to go to the party, that father goes to his son and said, my beloved son, everything I have is yours. Look how he waits for this son. Look how patient he is. The responsible son has no more relationship with the father than the rebellious son. Yet this father waits for both of his sons. Your God is waiting for you. He's waiting for you to turn towards him. 
Look at Isaiah 30. This tells how God waits. It says, therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him, for a people shall dwell in Zion, in Jerusalem he shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he will answer you. The next thing we see is that the father runs. Now what I loved learning as I was studying this passage is we call this the parable of the prodigal son. But I learned that in the Middle Eastern church, they call it the story of the running father. Because in verse 20, it says his father saw him. He was filled with compassion and he ran for his son. This is a father who runs out of compassion. In the Middle East, an older man didn't run. He kept his dignity. He, because if you ran, you had to hike up your tunic, put your belt around it, and you showed your legs. And that was inappropriate, sorry. That was inappropriate <laughs> to bare your legs. Shameful in this culture. So here's the, here's the question I have for you. If it was shameful for a man to run in this culture, then why did this father run? What motivated him to shame himself? I think it's because he wanted to get to his son before anyone else did. He shames himself so that he can protect his son. So the father has a plan. He runs, but it's with a plan. As we look at this parable, we see that there are actually three plans in the story. First, you have the village's plan. Now, I told you it's shameful for someone to lose the family's inheritance to Gentiles. And so the prodigal has shamed his father and he shamed the village. And so if a Jewish son lost his inheritance among the Gentiles, the community would perform this ceremony called kazaza. Can you say that with me? Kazaza. And so the village would break a pot in front of the person who lost their land, and then they would tell that person, you're dead to me. You're cut off from me. So that is the village plan. Here's the son's plan. The son's plan is, I'm going to work hard and I can win it back. I'm going to earn back the money. I'm going to earn back enough money to buy the land back. The son's plan is to work as a hired hand so he can buy his way back into the household. This son who's lost everything thinks he can earn his way back. So that's the son's plan. Here's the father's plan. The father's plan is to run and to meet his son and to pay off his son's debts and to cover him, to cover his shame. The father's plan is to find his lost son and to bring him home. So the father runs. The one who's most offended, the one who's most been hurt, he's the one that's going to cover this boy and cover his shame. And as he runs, there's three theologies about to crash together. The village theology is, if you sin, you pay the punishment. 
The son's theology is, if I work hard enough, I can make a way. But the father's theology is, I'll cover you with mercy and love, and I will atone for you, and I'll bring you home. So this parable, it asks you a question today, what runs faster, judgment or mercy? So the father pulled up his tunic, and he ran. This father is shaming himself, but he does it for his son. This father's different than other fathers. He is full of compassion instead of wrath. Now I want you to see the villagers are on the way to see the son too. They see him coming just like the father does. And they're going to meet him carrying a pot that they're ready to break. They think it's their duty to perform the kazaza ceremony because this man has sinned and he needs to be punished. But they're amazed and they're astounded because what they see is an old man running. And he's running for all he has. And he's running full out with his eyes on his son. He is running filled with compassion. And when he encounters his son, he falls on him. It says he embraces his neck. He covers him with kisses and hugs. He is showing the whole community that he will pay what his son owes and that he's welcoming his son back home. How many of you need to know today that mercy runs faster than judgment? Love is running after you, and love runs longer and harder and faster than judgment does. Love is running after you, King David, at the end of his life, said it this way, Surely goodness and mercy follow me and follow you all the days of your life. Then the father spends himself. He says, bring the best robe. Whose robe was the best robe? The father's robe. And he puts his own robe on his son to cover him. He spends what is his and gives it to a son. Next he says, bring the ring. This son basically divorced himself from his father. And so the father says, give him a ring. It will seal his sonship. It will reinstate him as a son. And then he says, bring the best shoes because the boys come home barefoot like a slave and the father outfits him and what he needs to be a son. And he says, because this son who was dead, who was kazazed, who was cut off from me, is now alive and has been found. Look at what the father does for this boy. The boy comes back and said, I'll be your hired hand. And the father said, no, I'll pay your debts. And he doesn't even mention what the son has lost. The son has shamed this father. He deserves punishment. But the father covers him with love and kisses and his provision. 
And the, under, the son understands, I'll never be a son again. What I've done is too deplorable. But no, the father gives him the ring. And he says, at my own expense, I'll make you a son again. This story is so dramatic. <laughs> I can't do it justice. This story talks about shame. It's gut-wrenching. It shows how degrading his life had gotten. But this story's also redemptive. This is Jesus telling us what the gospel looks like in a parable. Tim Keller explains what it means that God pays or the Father spends for us. And so I have a quote here. It says, the word prodigal, it does not mean wayward. But according to Merriam-Webster's Collegiate Dictionary, it means recklessly spendthrift. Now listen to this. It means you spend until you have nothing left. That's what the father did. This term, therefore, is appropriate for describing the father in the story as well as the younger son. The father welcomes to the repentant son was literally reckless because he refused to reckon or count his sin against him or demand repayment. This father is showing us what it means that God spends for us. He gives everything on our behalf. Listen to what John 3.16 is. I know you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. If you look carefully at this parable, there are three sons, right? There's the prodigal son. There's the older son. But who else is there? The eternal son. The Lord Jesus Christ, he is preaching. And he's saying, I love you and I want to bring you home. So I told you, the prodigal son, it's God acting out his love in this story. And I want you to think about this. The, the son just can't go home by himself. The father has to bring him home. He has to pay for him. He has to cover him and then he has to bring him home. Today, I want you to know the repentance God is asking for you is, won't you turn towards him and let come like that sheep who's lost and let him put you on his shoulder and carry you home. Jesus is saying repentance isn't about you earning. You can't come to him as a hired hand. You can't work your way back. No, turn towards him and he will carry you home. Jesus is saying today, will you come to your senses? Isn't it about time? Haven't you gotten yourself enough of a mess? Turn towards me and let me bring you home. Isaiah's going to come up and he's going to close the service out for us. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm still trying to catch my breath, and that's the second time that I've heard this sermon this morning. Can you guys just rise to your feet for me? Um, I don't want us to miss this. Lisa came up here a month ago, and she preached the same passage from a different perspective. 
It's a big deal. The word is infinitely deep. And the Father's love for you is just as deep. Infinite. And I hear this story, and like she told us a month ago, we, we can see ourselves as the elder son filled with resentment. And it's Father's Day, right? So we want to be like the Father that's in this story. We want to be like Christ. But first we have to stop, and we have to admit that we are like the prodigal son. That there are places where we have chosen our way, our flesh, not his plan, but our plans. I just think about this, this concept. I, I want to be someone, I want to be someone that helps others to come home. Do you? Got a daughter on the way. I want to be, I want to be someone who lets her know as her father that she can always come home. But I can't teach her that if I don't come home first. And so that line, that last line about repentance being not about what we do, but our choice to let the Lord take us home, that's the one. It makes all the difference. You have a father that is for you in more ways than can be described. And Lisa, I know you said you didn't do the story justice. I think you did the story more than justice. So I think this message is for all of us. Maybe you're someone who you do follow the Lord, but it feels like there's this mountain between you and him. Maybe it's a circumstance. Maybe it's an unmet expectation, a place where you were disappointed in your faith. Maybe you're in the process of deconstructing what you thought it meant to, to follow Jesus. And now you're figuring it out again. Or maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you hear this story and it's like, I've been doing this on my own for a long time. And the idea of having a father that will run after me, regardless of what I've done, regardless of the moments where I have spat in his face, I have shamefully treated him like something other than my father, he still wants me. He's still willing to shame himself for me. He's still willing to spend whatever he needs to spend to have me and to bring me back home. It's for both parties. So I want to pray and I need you to bow your heads because this moment right now, I think, is the line in the sand. It can be a checkpoint moment, a moment where we look back and we go, from that Sunday forward, my life was never the same because I recognize that God wants me, that he is, he is crazy about me. It doesn't matter what it costs him. Father, I thank you for such a wonderful message from Pastor Lisa. And in some ways, she's telling the story of how you told the story, and that's kind of funny. But this story is not to be slept on. We can't, we can't miss what you have spoken, what you are sharing. You're saying, I, I am for you regardless of the moments where you have been against me. I am with you regardless of the moments where you have left me. I want you regardless of the moments where you've desired something other than me. God, we are tired and it takes a level of humility to be able to admit it. We're tired 
just like the prodigal son who said, what am I doing? Why am I here? These are the very things that our souls are crying out. And it's because we're designed to be with you, Lord. You are our home. We want to be people who recognize we can't be home to someone else if we don't say and claim and believe and live a life that states that Jesus is my home. We need a savior today, Father. And so right now, we give you our entire lives, God. Not just parts, but every facet of our lives, Lord. Would you see our hearts? We want you here. If home is where the heart is, we give you our whole heart. Nothing held back. Nothing held back, Lord. Because it doesn't matter what the community or the village around us has said about us. It doesn't matter what the circumstances make us feel. The truth is we have a father above it all that loves us. That has been waiting for us, actively looking for us. That has a plan for us. And it's a good plan too. That desires us more than anything in the whole world. So much so that he's willing to spend anything on us. That celebrates us in the moments where we forget to celebrate ourselves that bestows upon us a grace that sometimes we forget to have for ourselves or others forget to have for us. You're the difference. You're what we need. Lord, we claim it today. We claim that our Father is Jesus Christ. We claim that this year is a year of Jubilee. We claim it over our lives and we surrender to you our plans. We surrender to you our agendas. We surrender to you our families, our church, our everything, God. Nothing held back, all for you, all for you, God. No more running away. It's time to finally come home. It's time to finally exhale. Inhale you, your breath, love, your love, Lord. God, I pray for everyone in this room, everyone that's watching online. There is a tender work that you, the great surgeon, are doing. And the word says you will see that work to completion. So we give you our all. We turn ourselves to you. And we seal this tremendous morning in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the church said, Amen.